Welcome to the London Welsh Rugby Club podcast. This is episode 61. It's been a great start to the season for our senior teams. The women won their pre-season friendly versus Falerians at ODP. The Druids go two from two after a win versus Roslyn Park. And our first 15 men's go from four from four after they ground out a win versus Horsham. I wasn't able to make that match, but was driving back from dropping my daughter off at university and getting the score updates from Twitter. I can tell you it was quite nerve-wracking following it on that platform, but it does go to show how valuable it is that we have volunteers who do that for us as I was kept informed of the score throughout the whole match. Now, my guest today is a big character who is in the top 20 of all-time league appearances at the club. Former Barry Boy, who came to London Welsh after one season at Cross Keys when he moved to London to work in the 80s. A player who had to bide his time before making regular starts to the club, but one who brought into the culture, the environment and the tours. He captained the club many a time and has loads of great stories of playing at London Welsh. He moved on to Isha after 12 seasons at the club and played all the way up to his 40th year. Our guest this week is Julian Davis. Enjoy. Welcome to the pod, former London Welsh prop, Julian Davis. How are you, Jules? Very well, thanks, Gar. How are you? Yes, very good, thank you. Now, you've just come back from a London Welsh Old Boys Golf Society. Um, who were you playing with? Where did you go? And what sort of courses did you play? Um, well, in fact, it's the London Welsh Golf Society, which we're led to believe is the, uh, the longest golf society uh, certainly in Britain, if not the world. It's our 99th year, and I'm very proud to say I've been asked if I'll be captain for the centenary of next year, which I've gratefully accepted. Uh, There's a misconception that it's the Rugby Club's uh, Golf Society, but it's not. It was actually set up 99 years ago, and the first um, patron and president was actually um, David Lloyd George MP, and it was very much a sporting outlet for any Welsh gentleman at the time who'd uh, left Wales and come uh, come to London. So a lot of there are members now who are um, people who worked in London have gone back to Wales. Um, there are members of the rugby club, members from the London Welsh Society, members from the London Welsh Choir. So it's quite an, e- an eclectic mix, um, but stick us all in the same room and we're we're all cut from the same cloth. So, so, so it, it, it could get very uh, parochial at times, but it was great fun. So we went to Anglesey, um, which was a sort of rearranged tour. Last year's captain, Paul Van Aert, um, had arranged the tour to go there last May, but obviously for pandemic and things that didn't happen, but luckily we managed to rearrange. So it was a, a September tour. There were about 25 or 26 of us, and we went and stayed in Anglesey, sort of um, mid-island, as it were. And we played North Wales Golf Course on the Wednesday, which is Llandudno. And then we played Bull Bay, which is a Lynx course at Amluch, and it was fantastic. So we had a match against the Vets on the Thursday and against the Choir on the Friday. And it was all very good, I have to say. It was great fun. Um, dreadful to say as a 
proud Welshman born and bred. I'd never been uh, to Anglesey before, but I'll, I'll definitely be going back. It was uh, it was a great success, I have to say. And that was people like uh, Phil Parker and uh, Johnny Morgan and Paul Howells. And then um, usually people like Di Box and some of the choir are there. Um, they weren't this time, but we got quite a few of the old uh, um, London Welsh rugby players like uh, Phil Thomas and Byron Light and Di Reese and people like that who, who were all members. So yeah, it's, it's another good way of getting together and uh, repeating the same old stories, but in a different venue. <laughs> What's well, the good thing about golf, I suppose, you can play at any age, whereas if you're all boys go from rugby, you, you, you obviously probably can't play now, sort of thing. So it's quite nice you can go away and have a bit of sport and a, you know, and a social occasion, really, you're most good company, isn't it? I, I, I'd say that was very true, Gareth. Um, but there are certain similarities that, uh, of course, uh, we all think we're better than we actually are. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So, uh, well, yeah, that's probably true. But look, should we delve into your rugby journey now, Jules? Look, I think and you're a yep. Barry, you're a Barry boy at heart. I know that. So, um, you know, this is where you grew true. up and started your love of the game at Barry, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Barry born and bred, Romley School, then Barry Boys Comp, which uh, used to be Barry Grammar School, and I suppose like every other kid growing up, we all played every sport. Actually, we didn't have a choice, but that was great fun. Um, we spent all our time growing up outdoors, whether it was um, down on the beach, whether we were fishing, whether we were watching our parents or dads play cricket or going up the rugby club or whatever. So it's a sort of natural thing that most of us um, followed some sort of sport. Back in those days, there was no mini rugby. Um, so when I was sort of in uh, junior school, I suppose it was, we used to go and watch Barry Rugby Club on the uh, on the Saturday, you watch your teachers play, you know, one chance of not calling them Mr. Scott or Mr. Hodge, you know, you could actually call them by their first name, which made you feel really grown up. Um, we used to, uh, basically, we used to go up, um, especially watch some of the fat old props have a fight, and it was great. And I ought to say that's where the love of my, the, the game uh, was founded. But it was it was more than that, really. It was just, uh, you know, it was just a great sort of uh, family experience to be in, really. And, uh, you know, the, all the barriers are broken down then. You know, kids that in school you might not have spoken to, then you suddenly meet them up there. And uh, it's a great sort of bonding start, I think, to your... Uh, um, well, to a to a to a to a sporting youth, and uh, you know, for generations thereafter. So that's where it was born, and then played my first first game of proper rugby when I was eleven, when we went up to you know senior school, um, and was a, was a dynamic fullback, which most people won't believe. So I managed. To, <laughs> I, I wasn't I wasn't scared as a kid, so uh, I threw myself at everything. Um, Managed all the first team place at fullback till I was about 15. Um, then um, managed to get in Cardiff schools doing that. And then um, was moved to um, scrum half, probably because I, you know, um, might have lost the yard at the age of 15. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, gradually um, got nearer and nearer the pack, managed to get a couple of outlets out of schools at Scrum Arthur, but um, ultimately ended up in the front row, where, to be honest with you, it was like starting rugby all over again at the age of 17, and that was a uh, 
bit of a tough learning curve, I have to say. But, um, but yeah. Didn't you play, though, at, um, so for, for uh, Barry, seniors as well? So your first senior matches yeah. were for Barry in the front. Oh, that must have been like a baptism See, of fire. Yeah. You know, for a front row, 17, 18, senior rugby in a front row. What happened was that I played youth rugby for three seasons. Uh, Barry rugby, uh, Barry youth were fantastic. I think we, we only lost five games uh, in three years. And then in the sort of 77, 78 season, I think seven of us went straight for the youth straight in the first team. Um, and we had a couple of schoolboy internationals. It was tough, um, but we also had um, some pretty tough boys uh, playing for Barry. Then you know, we had we had a few sort of fairly renowned and fairly um, robustuous policemen, which always helped. Um, we had a couple of guys also who were pretty useful, who uh, usually used to get arrested by team members on the Monday and then get let out to play on a get play on a Saturday. <laughs> so there was it was a right cross section and then you ended up playing with the teachers again and calling them by their first name. So yeah it was it was fairly uh it was fairly tough but it was very good. It was all very positive stuff, I have to say. And you got mentored a lot and the youngsters when I came in, especially in the front row, you got looked after really well. And um well I had, I had a couple of occasions we managed to get into the uh last 16 or something all out of the uh of the Shreps Cup and we drew Panath and Panath were a first class club at the time. Um and that was a bit of a baptism of baptism of fire because the prop I played against had a bit of a reputation. He'd been playing for Cardiff and stuff and uh decided to take it out on me. So uh one scrum I got uh, I got um bit of a right hook came through and I came out of the middle of the scrum like a champagne cork out of a bottle and ended up at the feet of the number eight. Um, <laughs> so uh, from then on, as much as anything, I also learned to hang on as well as stick my head in the right place. So, uh, <laughs> okay, steep learning yeah, curve. It was, uh, steep learning curve, as you say. But look, I think after Barry, you um, you moved to Cross Keys. Now, is that is that because Cross Keys were playing at a higher level and you thought you could test yourself you know, yep. further by moving from your hometown club to a, a team that was, uh, you know, at the higher of the leagues. That's that's exactly right, Gareth. Um, back in the sort of 60s and 70s, the um, the first class circuit in Wales, so the Western Mail pennant, there were 18 first class clubs, um, no promotion or relegation and cross keys was one of them. So I played on Wednesdays, played on Saturdays. They had trials every um, every year, but they also had a system in Wales called the permit system where you could play, you, clubs could bring in players and they could play for you for six times without them to transfer. So you had a chance to see if you were going to be up to the grade or not. And if you were, then you transferred. So it was always quite a good way of uh, um, learning um, your sort of level straight away. But I was quite lucky that one of the teachers in school was a guy called Steve Williams. Um, who was actually playing for, had, had played for Neath, um, a very good back row forward, had gone there to coach. And he, he asked me, another guy called Chris Booker, do you fancy going up and giving it a crack? Um, he's more famous, Steve, for being the, uh, the school teacher that uh, looked after Gareth Bale and Geraint Thomas and Sam Warburton. Um, and 
bit unfortunate whenever he gets asked about all of his successes um <laughs> he never he never mentions julian davis so obviously <laughs> I, that's the obviously fourth name that's the fourth name on this list i, 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 I obviously won i obviously won a success at the same level well it was fine but that, that was the reason why and it was a great start and i spent 18 months there and it, and it was brilliant and I, lo I loved it and learned very quickly um and i have to say i i i, I up to it to, to a duck like water you know you learn very quick when you you're playing against uh, real men and people who've been playing first class rugby all their life and it it was tough but but brilliant oh excellent know? excellent stuff but you also played for crochets when you're at cross keys and then just before you you moved away from cross keys you, you managed to get onto a, a u.s tour for three weeks so that mean as someone who's like 19 20 that sounds quite glamorous really doesn't it yeah um I actually, uh, Crochets had um, asked me if I want to go and end up sitting on the bench at Cross Keys. And then when I went to London Welsh the year later, I actually got picked with Crochets to come back down to the, <laughs> to the same, to the same Risker Valley and play against Abertillery in their centenary with Spikey Watkins and um, Rhys Morgan and people like that. Um, but yeah, the interesting thing about the, the, um, the tour we went on in I think it was 1980 at Cross Keys. We did 22 days in the Midwest. Um, we had to find 25 quid, and it was actually the three weeks before my finals in uh, in college. So it was a it was a bit of a <laughs> it was a bit of a um, sort of difficult one to tell my parents as that was what I was doing and my tutors in college. But I thought, well, you know. I feel pretty confident that I'm I'm going to get a job in September. So so I went. Um, and it was, it was, it, it was tough, but it was great. Um, I spent quite a bit of my time actually translating what a lot of the Valleys boys were saying to the Midwest, <laughs> to the, to the, to the Midwest girls, but, um, they got the message fairly soon, what, what, they, what they were trying to say, but, um, yeah, so it was, it was brilliant. I have to say. So you sort of finished college and finished cross keys. So did you come to London to work then? Yeah. Or did you come to London to come to London Welsh? No, I came to, I got, um, I'd always wanted in my, in my career, um, I became a graphic designer and, uh, one of my best mates from school, a guy called Mark Tutsell, who's also played a bit of rugby, but was more of a football basketball. We'd always said that when we finished, we'd come to London. You know, bright lights, and if you wanted to try and be be good at what you what you believed in, then you, you had to go to um, where the best place was, and the, the hotbed of advertising and design was, and still is London. So uh, that's where we were going, regardless. Uh, and I was lucky enough, or we were both lucky enough, we got um, offered jobs straight from college without even applying for them. So we uh, um, we got on the M4 in my in my beaten up. Uh, escort and uh, that was the start of the beautiful journey as it were um, somebody at Cross Keys had rung ahead and spoken to somebody at London Marsh I believe it was Dennis Horgan at the time who was sort of looking after intakes and I got invited to come along and um, go to one of the sort of pre-season trials I think it was in uh, yeah nine, that would have been 1980 probably about August time so uh, that's what we did. So you, you then, um, obviously, you moved to London, you, know, you had a trial under Welsh, you then came to under Welsh as, as a player. So what was, your, yeah. what was your debut like? And do you remember who you played against? <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, 
I came on as a substitute back in the days when you only had two subs. So it was usually a front row forward and a, and a scrum half or a hook and a scrum half. Luckily, it was me. We played London Scottish um, at Richmond Athletic Ground, I'm pretty certain. Um, and I do remember it because I went on, I think I replaced John Deacon. Uh, Bruce Bradley moved from uh, tight head to loose head and put me at tight head. And as I was taking my tracksuit off, um, the scrum was the other side opposite the stand. I took my tracksuit off and I was and I was sort of jogging across to the scrum to take my place. And as I did, I heard this shout behind me, you know, do it for the rats. And I didn't turn around and um, just carried on. Um, anyway, in the bar afterwards, it went all right. I, not, I can't remember if we won or lost, but uh, we won all right. The biggest mem the two memories of that, one of them was that um, all the front row got scrum pox and that stayed with me for 20 years. Uh, but after that, back in, the, back in the clubhouse afterwards, people said to me, did you see what happened when you ran on? I said, no. I said, I heard a noise, but I just ran straight to the scrum, uh, straight to the scrum. And it transpires that a London Welsh supporter, also a Barry boy, well known to London Welsh uh, rugby supporters called Graham Davis, um, favourably known as Winky, um, had stripped off completely, was com naked as the day was born, stood in the middle of the top stand um, between all of the sheepskins and um, twin set and pearls and shouted, come on, Jules, you Barry boy, do it for the rats. And the rats were the drinking the drink, drinking lads at Barry Rugby Club. Um, <laughs> I didn't see him, but apparently they embarrassed an awful lot of the people in the stand. But uh, um, yeah. Well, Makes your debut more memorable now with, with our story, doesn't <laughs> it? Was it was memorable, yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. But so. look, I think... What I think what characterises your first few seasons at the club was how challenging it was to get a starting berth or playing for the first. So in the first sort of four or five years, you had about five or six games, the first 15, because, you know, competition was fierce. You had Tim Jones and Bruce Bradley there who were playing consistently well. So when you're training on the Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, was it, it must have been a right old battle between the first props and the Druids props. Can you take us yeah, through that was... sort of time for you, Jules, please? <laughs> Well, it was it was full on. Um, one of the things about it was that um, you know we were running London Welsh were running twelve sides. the The first team squad that trained Tuesdays and Thursdays was primarily first seconds and a couple of drags, and then dragons. That is, sorry, um, yeah. not drag artists. But we had a few. <laughs> not that we had a few of them. We're inclusive. Um, it's okay. All, well, inclusive. Yeah. yeah. Um, and things, as far as training was concerned, you know, on a Thursday night, that was scrimmage night. And we did 30 or 40 scrums. So um, the likes of me and Paul Miller and uh, Richard John in the twos against Bruce Byron Light and uh, Tim Jones in the front row for the first, you know, we'd do 30, 40 scrums and it was full on, you know, and sitting over a pint as we do these days, you know. We all acknowledge that those were probably the toughest scrimmaging days we ever had. It was great, and it was full on, and tempers flared a few times. But I don't think anyone was any in any doubt that uh, you know if somebody was not up to it, then there was somebody snapping at their heels. And I made it known uh, um, quite early on that I was I was happy to sit on the bench with the first team and be involved with the first team, 
um, regardless. So I was actually, you know, I might have only been playing a handful of games each season, but I was involved with them a lot, which was, which was, that was the most important thing. You know, and um, I, I spent most Saturdays telling the likes of Kevin Bowring and Jeff Evans how brilliant I was and how small and ginger Bruce Bradley was. Um, but uh, I've realised now that um, perhaps I wasn't quite as good as I thought I was. And Bruce was a lot better than I actually gave him credit for. But, um, you know, I was young and impressionable. So there we are. <laughs> I suppose you know, hindsight gives everyone that the chance to sort of reevaluate where they were and you probably learnt a lot from those scrimmaging sessions against those but yeah, these yeah. are probably guys who are now you're probably good friends with now aren't you but you're competing for that oh, starting yeah. shirt no, yeah I think there was there was a very healthy respect and um, there were, we, we were really close regardless of that you know there, there wasn't any animosity um, so yeah we've we've remained very close um, off to see Brucey and Angie we're going down for the weekend in a couple of weeks time um, and we stay in touch and you know it's, uh, I suppose, that's, that's what you expect from any sort of, you know, strong uh, team bonding as well, and also respect, which is great, you know. So, uh, no, that that was good. I mean, vicious at times, but but I also think that's a, that's a way where you get found out if you've got any weakness, and uh, it's a weakness of character, not just of, uh, you know, your, your physical ability as well. So I think we're all pretty pretty much on the same level on that, Gareth. And that's fair enough. Look, um, in 85-86, there's some big matches for the club. I think um, you, were, you were, as you say, you were on the bench for the John Player Trophy final. Did, did you get on the pitch yeah. for that at all? Did, did they use a sub then or not? Uh, we, we actually had five subs that okay. day. Um, we only had one, but I think Peter Greenaway came on for Matthew Ebsworth at fullback. Um, no, I didn't come on, apart from the photo at the beginning and uh, um, to, to, to jump in front of the cameras at... Uh, after 80 minutes, but uh, no, I mean, it was a great occasion. I mean, at yeah. the time, I think it was the, the biggest crowd that they'd had there, 42,000 or something like that. Um, we were, we we just, we, we didn't play to, uh, we just didn't seem to click. It was a bit lackluster from us and a bit of a disappointment, but it would it was a, a, a great cup run. Um, and to be honest with you, I think that, uh, you know, we actually, as a as a club, sort of got got some sort of rewards for for sort of been knocking around at that sort of level for quite a long time, but actually got a bit of respect for it as well. Because in the centenary year, we also played the Barbas, yeah. we also played we played Fiji, and we also played a President's Fifteen. I played in that one against the then Scottish prop Norrie Rowan. Um, you know, just just, just so our, our, our listeners understand, you know, the President's yeah. 15, you know, what, what is that? You know, what, what, um... That was actually, I think I'm right in saying, because we were, um, because we were in the English Rugby Union, I, th I think that's correct. Um, it was the, I presume it's the English Rugby President's Select. It might have been London Welsh's president select, but we had them from all four nations. So there we played against in, uh, players from England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales, and most most of them were internationals. So uh, and that was a big day at Old Deer Park, which was uh, which was very good. And you know, it was uh, it, it was a great season, which was you know culminated in a world tour where we were away for best part of three weeks which was, we did uh, Hong Kong, um, South Korea, 
Los Angeles and uh, San Diego. Yeah. So uh, was it? Yeah, I think that's right. Los Angeles. And that, yeah. So it was pretty, um, that was pretty full on as well, I must admit. I mean, you're all amateur players. How on earth do you yeah. get like a squad of you off work for three weeks to play rugby? And drinking you know, and, and socialising and stuff. So how, how does that happen? Quite, quite, quite difficult that was, yeah. I think, for most people. And one or two people didn't make it. Um, but in that, the thing about the about London Welsh, and it, and it, it had a great history. London Welsh used to tour every sort of two or three years. And when you'd find the rest of the sort of London clubs just popping off to New York or someone like that, you know, London Welsh would go to quite exotic places, you know, and they'd, there were there were tours tours to Ceylon, tours to South Africa, you know. They'd been to Canada and South America and stuff like that. So I mean, it, there was always a history in London Welsh of touring. Um, I have to say, the World Tour in '85 was um, was in a different league to the to the tour we went to Nigeria in '81. Um, that was a slightly um, less memorable. Or Put it this way, it was very memorable, but for all the wrong reasons. That what that wasn't great. So uh, if you're thinking of taking the under 15s on tour guard, don't I wouldn't suggest Lagos, all right? I appreciate I appreciate <laughs> that advice. Thank you very much. Right. But look, Thanks, but, look um, yeah. but look, I think you know, is it around this time, 85, 86, you started making a lot more, you know, um, appearances for the club. And you're yes. also made captain as well, right? So you were made, made captain quite a few times um, during your time at London Welsh. I was, yeah. So, so how would you describe your captaining style? Um, I, um, I think I, I always um, consider myself one of the boys. Um, it was up to the selectors to sort of pick the team, but once you were in there and you were selected, I always wanted to be part of that, um, Yeah really an integral part of the team uh, certainly as as captain everyone sort of says by the cliches or oh, you lead by example you know captain picks themselves all of that I, I didn't actually necessarily think that even if I'd spent three hours in a selection meeting on Tuesday night and then we went out training I'd still have a look at the board at nine o'clock to see if I was still in there <laughs> um, so because uh, things used to change quite radically back in those days but I, I, as far as the captaincy style, I, I, I suppose I, was, I felt almost like a, um, almost like a trade union sort of spokesman as well for the boys. But I wanted that day, if anybody came in who wasn't an established player and was new to the team and they'd fought their way in, I wanted that whole day to be a memorable experience, you know, from the time they got up in the morning, the time we picked them up on the bus, you know, had they got their number ones on, was everything ready? So that that day, that the game was just the extension of the whole of that, that Saturday experience. And, I, th and I, I think a lot of boys remember those times whilst the results might not have been great all the time. You know, the, the actual the togetherness was fantastic. You know, we just played teams that had more talent than us. So I would say I was fairly rumbustuous. I'd like to say I led, led from the front um, or maybe f pushed from the back, one or the other. Um, and, uh, you know, was probably there, um, there at the end to make sure that uh, everybody had had a satisfying day. So you were made captain, I think, I, I think like from uh, looking at the uh, notes of got like, 87 sort of time and then then you yeah. also you also took over when people got injured you were then like you're like vice captain for 
basically when you weren't captain, you were vice captain, then made captain because people got injured and you seem to then play you your appearance record after 85, 86 is is second to none. You made most appearances yeah. mostly the next five or six years for the for five the five or six for the years. Numbers. I think it was about 30 foot 35, 40 games a season. Yes, yeah, mad. Um Mark Douglas was uh, was a great servant for the club, fantastic uh, scrum half, and um, st- uh, it's still in the Welsh squad, um, in and in and out. So um, he was captain the year before me, um, and he's when he did it for the second year, um, he just had a chat with me and said, "Look, I just need to concentrate on my own game, and I'm not really enjoying all the off-field stuff and everything else." He said, "You know." I think you ought to take over. And I said, well, that's not for me to say, is it? And the um, the powers that be thought it was a good idea. And it was announced after an away game, I think we were at Roundtay away. Um, I took over from him then. Um, then the following year, which was, I think, 87, 88, might have been 88, 89, um, I was captain in my own right. And then the following year, um, Jeremy Evans was made captain, and rightly so, because he'd captain um, Welsh students and a number of others. And, you know, Cardiff Cole, great player, great servant for the club in the back row. Um, but he had a he had a sort of niggling back injury, and he only had sort of a month or two into the season. Um, he couldn't play anymore. So I was asked to, you know, pick up the baton again and, try and keep things going. So I was very proud of doing that. I captained the Druids for a couple of seasons um, on and off beforehand. And I was I was lucky enough that, you know, I captained um, the school um, 15. So I'd, I'd done a fair bit of it. And it's probably one of those things that I'm, I'm not very shy to, about um, sort of speaking my mind and trying to um, do things for the sort of collective benefit, really. That's yeah, fair enough. So that, obviously, you know, yeah. the, the uh, selectors are trusting you and you obviously did it well when you did it, so which, which is which is great, you know, it's great great for you. But look, I want to sort of go through the remainder of your Lundabas career by highlighting some of the sort of key stories or key events, you know, because, um, yeah, um, you know, you know, you're a strong character, you know, big in our sort of club history. So there's, a, there's a lots of, I've got some notes from some of your um, playing compatriots back in the day and the people you <laughs> congregate that's great. Um, that's you know, great. around the, you know, the uh, opposite of me when I'm doing a mass day announcing you, so that's where you sort of stand. So what about the, yes. pasty, the pasty story in Red Ruth then? What's all that about? Oh, it was amazing. That, that, that's one of my favourites. It's a funny story. <laughs> um, I can't remember whether we were in League 3 or League 4 at the time. Um, we went out to play them in, in an, April, an April the Redruth team was made up pretty much of all the Cornwall pack who just won the uh, the county championship yet again, Trelawney's army. They'd been promoted um, and we knew that we couldn't go up. So that was a bit, a bit of a disappointment. So it was a bit of a dead rubber, but it was a full on game. And um, afterwards it transpires that we didn't know this. It was the first time London Welsh had played at Redruth. We might've played them before, but we'd never, we'd never visited. So afterwards, there was a um, there was a call for silence, and the chairman came up and welcomed London Welsh Committee and uh, asked me to come forward. And they presented this sort of fourteen or fifteen inch uh, oversized pasty on a breadboard and two pints of Guinness, um, and said, "There's a tradition here about the." Uh, 
um, about welcoming teams and it's, uh, it's it's the past in the paint and before we had a chance to say anything else I, I picked up a pint of Guinness, necked it, ate half the pasty, necked the other pint of Guinness, ate the other half of the pasty and it was a big pasty <laughs> and the chairman, the chairman said well I suppose that's one way of doing it isn't it? He said what we usually do is we pass one pint to the home team and one pint to the away team <laughs> We, we we give the opposition half a pasty, and we have half a pasty ourselves, and we pass it around, all in the name of friendship. And you fat bastard have eaten it all. <laughs> that was it. So uh, yeah, so that's <laughs> that's that sticks in the mind, Gareth. I have to say. Did you keep it all down? I did keep it all down. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, I did keep it all down. That's, it was, that's good it was, to know. It was a bit up and kept, brought tears to my eyes, but um, yeah, the boys still pulled my leg. They often say, Red Ruth? Yeah, okay, thanks. <laughs> so, so what happened when you played at, at Bedford? You played at Bedford as well. You, didn't you play, um, you get a, oh, a fax God. from a client or something? Yeah, that was, well, it, it was it was all right. The, we we played Bedford. I I got a f- feeling it might have been a, a Division Two game, maybe a Division Three game, and it was no, another one of those must-wins. Yeah, you know, we our league um, position wasn't great. Um, we started the game and we missed um, Harvarez and kicks a goal, which was a sort of recurring theme. And we ended up, I think we we lost by a couple of points, 12-10 or something like that. But one or two of us more senior boys thought that, you know, we needed to sort of maybe take matters into our own hands and maybe get a little bit more physical. And... Um, there was a their winger made a break and I got across as fast as I could, but it was after the whistle had gone and I hit the winger and put him over the hoardings into the front row of the stand. Anyway, the risk, the referee blew for a late tackle um, penalty to them. That was fine. But when we arrived back at, uh, I arrived at work on Monday morning, there was this huge long fax and it was about, um, it was the match report and it was from the Bedford Post and it basically said um, what a disgrace this <laughs> this London Welsh captain sets um, you know even though he arrived as as quickly as he could it was still two seconds after the whistle had gone but even even worse the uh, this this individual was then read the riot act and effectively hit over the head with a wet woodbine by the referee that's what they said so Anyway, it was uh, it was a, it was a fairly vicious game, but the the fax had arrived at the office and it was headed up by my client saying, "My MD said, is isn't this the same Julian Davis we do work with? Do we want to be associated with this oh, psychopath?" <laughs> <laughs> so I I assured I assured them that it was all part and parcel of the you know of the game and that. Uh, um, there, there was there was there was no real problems and uh, yeah, let bygones be bygones. But uh, I did suffer the suffer the slings and arrows of my uh, of my clients for a while. But uh, we look back at it now and uh, with, with with a bit of humour. So. I'm sure you do. Look, I'm sure over your career you've played against you know some um, famous internationals and one of them I suppose was with oh, the yeah. New Zealand ex captain Wayne Shelford and he was playing oh, for okay. Northampton. Um, oh, didn't you have some sort of altercation with him or something? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Who you've been speaking to Gareth, but yes, um, <laughs> some boys have got some good memories. Um, 
we went up to Northampton and and played them. They were a couple of uh, leagues above us, but as um, as I'm sure a lot of your other interviewees have told you in the past, you know, London Welsh are very proud of keeping its links with 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 top flight rugby clubs. We went up. Um, Wayne Shelford had just finished his international career and had come as um, sort of player coach um, at Franklin Gardens. And I, they said had the likes of. Um, uh, might have even had a young Matt Dawson in those days. Uh, might might have been a bit before him, but the likes of um, um, Bayfield in the second row, and then Harvey Thornacroft and Simon Hunter and people like that. You know, it, it was out of a team, and it was a full-on game. We actually we lost. I think it was thirty points to six or something, and they'd been beating everyone by that sort of score. So we did quite well. But anyway, there was suddenly a line out in front of the in front of the stand. Suddenly, heard a bit of a slap, and I turned around as I was stood at the front of the line out to see our second row, Malcolm Hall, come flying out of the line out. So I came around and did what I usually do, which was you know offer a bit of support with a short jab, and um, got the opposition had um, you know on his backside. But as I did. Um, through the gap came this rather fast and very hard sort of pile driver straight into my face and um, I had the nosebleed to end all nosebleeds uh, game was stopped referee blew the whistle and said you know I don't, I don't want any more of this fighting here so I carried on I was, I was okay um, carried on for the next half an hour with two great big wads of uh, cotton wool in each nostril and um, we finished the game and then afterwards, we were in the in the uh, in the club in the little sort of first fifteen section, and I don't know why I did to this day because he was probably younger than me. Wayne Shelford came up and he he said, uh, "All right, prop, are you okay?" Of course, I still had these uh, cotton wool buds in my nose and said, "Oh yeah, thank you very much, Mr. Shelford. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine." <laughs> he said. He said, mate, he said, I didn't half give you a smack. He said, we have this thing in New Zealand. He said, when it's one-on-one, -on -one, you just let it go. He said, when it gets two-on-one, you know, we have to even up the sides. I said, oh, mate, I think you did. You did a very good job. <laughs> and he said, well, there's one thing you, you, I need to tell you. He said, I've hit a lot better players than you. <laughs> <laughs> and he said... And they went down and you didn't, he said. So that's something. And I said, oh, thank you very much, Mr. Shelford. <laughs> and that was it. So, uh, again, another one of the boys' favourites. But that's good, though. You know, see a uh, game of rugby, you can laugh a joke about something like that. You know, oh, see, yeah, th th those, absolutely. Those sort of things now can never happen because there's too many no. cameras at, at, that, at the level now. And um, Yeah, and nobody got hurt either. It was not, you know, it was just sort of a, it's one of those sort of... Um, uh, spare of the moment things, but it had a, it had a funny side at the end of it. No, definitely. But so, you've also played uh, versus a young Martin Johnson, I believe, as well. Is that is that right? <laughs> yes, um, we were we were playing at home actually. Leicester versus um, London Welsh, Aldia Park, and uh, we had this they had this young second row who was who was winning everything. So um, Mark Davis was jumping against him. And we sort of had a, a little bit of a chat and said, look, Mark, you're going to have to do something about it. He said, all right. Yeah, he said, I'll, I'll sort him out next line-out. Anyway, next line-out, Mark climbed all over him. And we had this, hey, you 
so and so he said i'll get you now and anyway it was the fastest that me and mark had run all day as this young kid chased us all across the uh all across the field and that carried on all match little be known to us at the time that this was his first or second game for Cle uh, for uh, Leicester having spent the summer in New Zealand honing his skills and it was a it was a young and very agile and very good Martin Johnson and I can always remember uh, Jeff Evans giving Mark Davis short shrift in the bar afterwards and said oh you should have sorted that young kid out and Mark said He's much better than me. I think he's going to be a good player. Well, never a true word spoken. <laughs> no, so, I bet. Yeah. I bet. Oh, that's, that's great. It's great. I mean, it's great to hear these sort of stories that you, know, these yeah, of them, yeah. that yeah. you guys have played against you know, some of the best players in the world, you know, at the end of the day. So, but I imagine during your time at London Welsh, you've had the odd encounter with with some referees, right? Uh, just in terms of like being as a captain and, the, and sort of the, the yeah. play, player you were. Now, look, one of these, I think, is Bob Ockenden. And actually, you know, guess what? Like, Bob Ockenden was the guy who, took, who taught me how to referee in my refereeing mm. course. He was a refereeing coach. Was he? Yeah. Yeah, so um, and obviously he's, he's obviously a bit older now, um, like we all are. But um, you had a couple, of it, uh, a couple of times where you've run into him, shall we say, when he was refereeing. Yeah, um, good man, Bob. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, in the first, you know, first few instances, it was uh, it was always um, sort of you know one one scrum to, to one side, one the other, and if there was any going on, whoever was taken down, he sort of evened it out. But Bob had a fairly good idea what was going on. Um, and are you is it are you on this particular um, story? Are you are you talking about the um, the shorts incident or not? No, short, not at all. Just, just like, just want to sort of draw, draw out anything from you that you've, when Bob was refereeing you, um, there's well, no particular interest in, that I've got in mind. I just, I just know like um, you might have had, to, you know, a, maybe a quip or a story to say about it. That's all. Well, I remember, um, in fact, with Bob, one of the things because having spent my time um, first at London Welsh before I went to Isha, uh, to Isha when I was at Isha, we had a, um, a pre-season um, trial match there, and Bob refereed that. And it was before they had sin bins or yellow cards or anything that. So, but he said that I was the first person he'd actually asked to go in the stand and cool off. So, uh, <laughs> and then he blew his whistle halfway through and said, George, you can come back on now. He said, I've been refereeing you for, refereeing you for 10 years. He said, you know what standard I expect? I said, oh, I'm sorry, Bob. And then some years later, um, Bob was, um, had some other issues with some, some injuries that had gone on and, uh, rang me and asked if I'd be an expert witness on his character and everything else, which I'm happy to do. He's a top man. I liked him a lot. I had a couple of uh, um, sort of uh, other people I remember, like Roger Quinton, yeah. actually, in, in, that same, in that same match where we played Leicester, um, we'd done the toss or whatever, and he used to wear very short, tight, uh, very tight shorts and um, garish coloured shirts at the time. And I can remember in, in that match, he ran past me and tapped me on the bum and said, come on, fatty. That was it, as he ran past me, which I thought, which I thought was, hang on, I'll get you. So I don't know whether he wanted to, whether it was a case of chase me, chase me or whatever, but uh, I certainly chased him and uh, I kept running that day. And equally, he was refereeing um, a match where we played Mosley away and Mosley were one of the few clubs that used to have the roll top baths and under the stands, them and Twickenham. And I can remember B 
being in one of these baths and Roger coming in and jumping in the bath and saying, you don't mind if we top and tail Jules, do you? I said, no. I said, Roger, you could have it all to yourself, mate. And I got up <laughs> and I was out of there fairly quickly. <laughs> so I always think I got on quite well with referees, but but Bob was a, Bob was a diamond and uh, I don't think I ever gave him too hard a time. Look, as I say, he's still coaching referees now and at yeah. some of our meetings. Um, but look, you know, you've also gone back to sort of the famous people angle. You once shared the stage with Daley Thompson and Bob, Be- Bob Beeman. What, what was that oh, for? Um, was yeah. that something to do with a photograph or something? Is that right? Yeah, there was a, um, there's a, there's a very famous photograph that um, was taken at Old Deer Park. Um, I think it was 80, 87, 88, London Welsh versus Newport on a Newport on a um, November day. And a photographer who worked for All Sport called Chris Cole took this iconic photo of the front row with all the, the sweat and the steam um, with with the with with the sort of autumn glows behind it. And it was voted one of the sports photographs of the decade. And as a result of that, those, um, however many it was, can't remember now, 50 or 100 images were put in a, a book and all of the people that were in that book were, were invited to a, a launch in London at, a, um, at the Design Museum. And uh, we all got private invitations, so it turned up and things like that. And um, Bob Beeman was on page one because that's uh, that was the first image that uh, um, the photographer had ever taken to launch all sports. And then there's lots of other famous people, you know, like Daly, sort of winning winning his second gold and things like that. So they all had their name badges on. Um, for some reason, I didn't. So I wrote my own and I just put page 88, um, <laughs> which was quite good because people had to have a look and see who was on page 88. <laughs> so I, 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 I spent my time having, a, having, having drinks that night with somebody who thought that was a good idea and it was page 93, who happened to be a um, steeplechaser or something and nobody knew who he was either. So that was good fun, but you know, we were we were there. We were in all of the photo calls with everything, which was great. Now, was an interesting little rider to that guy. Uh, we went on tour. I think it was in um, 1989 where we went to Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and the Cayman Islands. And so that photo had been um, quite well received. Had been used a lot of international ad campaigns, a um, lot of. Uh, uh, posters and things. Athena picked it up for greetings cards. Um, I didn't get any money from it. I didn't expect to do so. I thought I'd just chance my arm and ring uh, ring the photographer up and ask for image rights so we could stick it in the tall kitty. Um, so he said, what are you thinking about? I said, um, oh, so one a thousand pounds. He said, a thousand pounds. He said, I only got paid a hundred pounds for the day to go and to, to go and do the whole assignment. I said, oh, well, we'll call it 500 quid then. And I and I won't I won't ever call you again. Anyway, he um, got 500 quid and uh, I then put it in the tour fund as we went away. So that was a pretty good start to the tour kitty for the boys. Uh, the problem is I only told three others that that had happened and the four of us went out and uh, went off tour and spent it all <laughs> one, one day at the best restaurant that we could and um, ate lobsters and drank shabbily and uh, met the boys at about six o'clock and paid the fine for, for going off tour. But uh, yeah, 
good photo still no. with us well and great they've sort of <laughs> funded a night out of the tour at least but look you mentioned yeah. tours a bit throughout this and i want to come, come on to the tours now because yeah. the tours are you know you have you know, say every two or three years are amazing you've been to nigeria grenoble with the druids you had the world tour in 85 miami and the cayman islands vancouver seattle so what's your sort of memories of these some of these tours and which was your, your favorite um i think the it, it's hard to say the favorite i think the up in, the the earlier tours um sort of the us with cross keys even with nigeria nigeria which was a which was a tough tour and not much of a rugby challenge but it was tough and then the world tour that was when london welsh were you know really um at the top of their game um they were quite serious we had good fun but they but they were serious and there were a lot of training and stuff like that um and it's still quite impressionable at that age we had a great fun i think though when we went then and decided to do the cayman islands and um fort lauderdale and miami and then two years later canada and vancouver i mean those two um really were standout tours because um we organized them ourselves the club at the time um, weren't prepared to fund them in any way, and um, we had to raise. I remember when we went to think to Fort uh, to on the Cayman tour, we had to raise twenty five grand um, and have it in a bank before London Welsh would actually uh, put their name to it. Luckily, um, great London Welsh from Nigel Connell just uh, said to me, who was who was my bank manager and was at that West at the time, and said. Don't worry, Jules. I just put twenty-five grand in the account. He said, uh, "I've put you down as I've put you down as guarantor." <laughs> that was fine. So then, by the time that our then manager Jeff Williams had managed to get, you know, a letter of uh, of best wishes from the likes of Neil Kinnock and people like that, you know, the tour was all on in London Welsh. Then, sort of, were very happy to say, "Oh yeah, we're going to we're going to the Cayman Islands and uh, um, and." Uh, the US but uh, you know the boys did all of that which meant that the tour itself was a lot lot tighter because everyone had been in it mm -hmm. and the same thing then happened when we went to um, Vancouver and Seattle in 91 you know it was sort of repeat we had to raise the money and do all our bits but it, they were they were fantastic what was interesting about both of those is it was pretty much you probably find about 80% of both tours had the same people so that was pretty tight. So we'd also gone through some tough times, you know, league-wise and on the pitch. And they were a chance to do a bit of bonding and, you know, maybe let off a bit of steam. So, you know, swimming with swimming with stingrays and, uh, you know, sleeping on sleeping on the beach and barbecuing and doing all that. It was a bit of fun. So, so yeah. about all about making memories and a bit of rugby as well. And that's what we're teaching our children, you know, from the under sevens to under 15s. Couldn't, couldn't agree more with you. Couldn't you agree know, more with you, Gareth. I mean, uh, they're great. No, it's brilliant. I've probably, I, I've, I've probably forgotten more than I can remember, which is equally good fun. And that, that's, that's the that's, they're the best tours, probably. Uh, look, look, that's right. Look, uh, you left London Welsh, right? Um, you know, to go to Isha, uh, probably in 90, 92, 93. Is that, yeah. is that um, you know, is that because you were in favour in terms of uh, being picked, or you just wanted a new challenge? You know, why did you leave? Um, I had um, it had been sort of made uh, sort of pretty clear to me that um, the club was looking to sort of move on, bring on fresh blood, change the sort of um, the you know the sort of uh, um, 
I don't want to say some of the the older stalwarts. I thought I was at the time probably playing my best rugby that I had, um, and the situation happened that I was just not being picked, and I'd had a um, uh, a, a sort of a lunch and friendship with with a couple of guys um, from other clubs. Just so happened, and one of them happened to be. Um, Simon Halliday, who'd had to retire through injury and things after his time at Bath and Quinns and obviously England and things. And basically he'd said, oh, I've just um, not seen your name in the Telegraph on a, on a Monday morning anymore. What's happened? I said, well, I'm a bit out of favour here. He said, well, you're still playing though, are you? And I said, yeah. He said, well, don't you fancy giving it a crack here? And I Whilst I lived in Weybridge, I didn't really know much about Isha, but um, I just thought at the age of sort of 33, 34, um, I still had a lot of a lot of sort of experience and um, rugby to play and gave me an opportunity. I couldn't see that the way things were with selection at the time that I was going to be getting back in the first team regularly, regardless of whether or not I was good enough. Um, I just think that... Um, yeah, personality-wise, they decided that I, you know, that I, um, my 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 time was up. Yeah. Um. So I I said, yeah, we'll give it a crack. And it was a situation whereby Isha then, I was. It doesn't always come off this, but the uh, Simon then recruited about eight first-class players who went straight from playing first-class rugby straight to playing London too. Um. That's quite unusual. Yeah. You know? Clubs like to do it, and you might get two or three. Well, we actually had nine boys went, and then we went straight through the leagues there. But the strange thing about it was that with the rules um, to make sure that clubs didn't um, get ringers in just before promotion and relegation battles meant that if you went more than two leagues down, you had to um, wait six months. You had It was a 180-day transfer deadline. So I had to make that decision, and... Um, hand my papers into the committee sort of early February to make sure that I could, um, I was registered for early August. So the club knew for a six month period that I was going and I ended up playing, I think my last first team game, I believe was, was against Newport on Easter Monday away. I think we lost 20 points to eight. Got a feeling I might've even scored. You did about... score. You did score. I, did, I know did you I? did. Yeah. yeah, you did. Yeah. Oh, um... Okay. There we are. Well, it's not um, bad. Not it's good to go out on a, on a high at London Welsh, you know. But then, look, well, we, well, we lost Gareth. I'd much rather it okay, if we won okay. there. But a, yeah, a per, okay, a personal high to the scoring a try, and then yeah, yeah. I, spo- I suppose then you know, you, you go to Isha. Um, you're still you think you're playing. You're, you are playing your best rugby, as you say. But did you think you'd have five years at Isha playing, you know, and helping them sort of on their journey? Um, not really. No, um, I think what was when when we went there, um, you know, Simon and the sort of you know we had some some senior pros. A lot of people thought that we're going to go there and you know you can train once a week, play on Saturday, you know we're all good enough and that will be okay. What happened was that the um, those of us who joined, including Nick Jenkins and Emmy Ablees, you know, ex first class, ex first teamers from London Welsh, also. Um, were out of favour, so came down. Um, we had some some real talent, you know, boys from sort of uh, Blackheath, from Harlequins, from Rosalind Park, from London Irish, 
um, and you know, real talent. And we actually just went went for it. So you know, we made sure everyone was training twice a week. You know, won the Surrey Cup first time they, the club had done that for thirty years. We won that for two years running, and suddenly. Now their nemesis sides we were winning and we would, we just started going through the leagues very much mirroring what London Welsh have done in the last four or five years you know and that's what that's what we did there um, but what it did do was it gave me also an opportunity to um, uh, play for Surrey I was asked if I if I play for Surrey so I managed to play for them for two or three seasons and captain them to the semi-final of the county championships that was great fun as well mm-hmm. Uh, uh, playing with um, youngsters and senior pros. And then um, you probably know about what happened in, I think it was 96, um, when I even got asked to do something even more, which was to Captain London um, when the Premiership players, or whatever they were, the, the first, cl- first, uh, first class club players went on strike. Um, and London had to fulfil their fixtures. So a lot of the sort of junior clubs um, were asked for certain people to go to a training session at London Irish. I went, uh, not with a lot of intention of uh, going, except that I knew a couple of other people were. I'd been out to lunch, had a few pints. We were meeting at three o'clock. Wasn't but you were sure hydrated. Was... You were hydrated I for was it. hydrated. Yeah. So I was sort of 36, 37, and... Um, Ex um, England A, Roslyn Park and Harlequin, Simon Deer was the coach and um, announced a squad of 35. And I'd already started getting up and with my bag, was walking out the door and he said, and finally, um, the last player is Julian Davis. And by the way, he's going to be your captain for your for this three match series in Twickenham, which, you know, you're going to knock me over with a feather. So uh, that was great fun. The Premiership boys had gone on strike because they didn't think that they were being paid enough. Um, so I picked a team from the sort of lower lower leagues. Um, it was brilliant. Andy Tucker and Craig Raymond were also playing with London Welsh at the time. They played on. They played on that. We had some decent footballers, um, and we ended up playing Argentina on the Wednesday at Twickenham, then South Africa A on the Saturday before England played Italy. Um, and then we played Queensland as well. So, and we got 500 quid a game and uh, it was brilliant, you know? And so things like that, I mean, they, you can't plan for that, Gareth. So getting an opportunity to do that and have a bit of fun and, um, you know, some of the people we played against and what we did, I mean, it was, it was just great. Yeah, you know, what, what an experience that is! What an experience to do yeah, that. Yeah, I wouldn't have expected that at my age, you know. So uh, there we go. Yeah, it was great fun. And didn't you get? Didn't Adrian Davis come to Isha while you were there as well to do some coaching? Or, or did, he, did, yeah, he, did he ever play there? I don't think he, don't think he played. Did he? No, just, he didn't. No, no, no. Adrian had just he just um, finished at Richmond because of his um, knee injury, and had been advised not to play anymore. I finished. Um, my playing career, 1999, um, in the early April, which was about a fortnight before my 40th birthday. I played my last league game. Um, we got promoted from Division 3 that year, which was great. Kieran Bird was captain. Um, and the then coaches, which were Hugh McCarty and Pete Taylor, both ex-first class boys, said, you know, do you fancy doing a scrummaging? So then the following year, I, I did... Uh, 
just the first team scrummaging, which I did for several years. Um, and Adrian was asked to go down. I think Mike Schmidt might have been coached by then, the ex-Canadian um, and Rotherham captain. And Adrian came down to help out with the backs. He sort of knew of me. I sort of knew of him. Um, we we hit it off uh, really well. And, um, you know, when he got offered the the job at London Welsh, he said, you know, do you know these guys? You know, gave me a sheet of things, said, yeah, you can trust this person, this person, this person. Um, told him to make... Uh, certain people captain, which he didn't because he said they were 42 and weren't playing anymore, which was disappointing. <laughs> so the bar barrel was a bit disappointed, but there we went. Um, and, you know, we've been best mates ever since. So I think he then went on the same... He had a very similar ethic when he joined London Welsh, was very much the same as happened at Isha, which was, you know, we've got... He, whilst he had a, um, a semi-pro budget, he went around and, you know, got some fantastic players who maybe served their time at, at other clubs and they still had something to give and you know you did a remarkable job you know not out in the championship not at the top five for five seasons or something like that absolutely brilliant so very very clever man and we're we're top golf buddies and top uh you know top touring buddies well look you know look, barrel and him are coaching our the 16s on sunday so that, that's, that's what i love about you know getting to know people like that and the, the fact that you know it's a small community, London Welsh, and everyone knows each other. And the fact that you you were coaching together for Isha, yeah. but then you went on to coach at Reeds Weybridge. You, you may I mean, just finished doing that, but you've been their scrum coach as well for quite a few years, haven't you, at Reeds? Yes, I hadn't. The the the, the sort of Isha thing sort of um, fizzled out because I sort of had enough, to be honest with you. And um, uh, Nigel Connell um, on. London Welsh and Voyages. I uh, was director of rugby at Reeds Weybridge. Um, he'd been doing very much what you are now, Gal, um, coaching his boys through from under 10s, 11s, 12s. They got to um, senior age about um, five or six seasons ago. I know at the time they were only in, um, they, they'd been in the foundation, foundation League and then went into Surrey 4. Very good behind, but getting a bit, bit of a pacing up front so he asked me to come in and see what I could do and I've been there doing that now for the last I keep saying two or three years but it's probably <laughs> for four or five um and I you know I'm not full on I don't turn up every day but I'm you know usually there for an hour on a Thursday and and most most of the home games um and we are in I think we've had five promotions in six years you know one of the junior bars at Twickenham the boys are doing very, very well and are now top in the league uh, beneath London Welsh. So, uh, you know, it's on that journey, but I won't be doing it for much longer, but I shall, I shall certainly support Nigel whilst he wants me to do so. Yeah. And again, it's all part of the rugby family because Paul well, Turner, yeah. you know, he's, 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 he's doing clinics down at Reeds, you know, and Paul also played London Welsh. So, yeah, it's very incestuous, but it's good fun. No, long time, long time retired, Gal. That's what yeah, they say. Yeah, no, no. Keep, keep being active. Keep being involved. It's definitely the way forward. Um, Absolutely I, I so. But you also, I think you, this old boys network, that sort of thing. Um, it's you've got yes. a few sort of, uh, oh, I don't want to call them drinking clubs, but boys clubs, shall we say? So, um, like, like the Martini. Vets, you mean ex, ex players? Um, yeah, ex players club. So the Martini club. Community socials. Yeah, that sort of thing. You're, you're, you're a member of that, aren't you? The Martini boys. 
Yep, founding member of the Martini Club, which I think this year will be asked. Um, what do we know? Now, next, our next trip, which is going to be Dublin in February, I think that's our 27th uh, trip, which is which is good. So all ex-first teamers from London Welsh. Um, in fact, 28 years ago, we decided that we should stay together. Um, I think I was still playing, but nobody else was, and thought it'd be good to start putting a club together. So we formed this first, the first club, uh, the first year we went away, we had, uh, we we stumbled on the name 10 Fine Men because there were 10 of us and we went to Paris, except only eight turned up. So that <laughs> name could, so that name couldn't stick. <laughs> so then during, during the next few weeks, sat at the bar at London Welsh, we stumbled on the Martini Club, which basically was anytime, any place, anywhere. Yeah. And it's just a way of keeping all of us together. So it's not just all you know, the, the boys who all always like um, sit, sit at the bar or stand at Cynic's Corner like Nigeries, Di Williams, Gar Tom and Porky and me and things like that. But some of the guys who can't get down every week, well, they, we, we pay in and we, have, we go away every year as basically the Martini Club, but very much as a London Welsh um, old boys, really. And is it centered yeah. around like a um, go to watch a game of rugby somewhere or like a or World Cup trip? Yeah, we always sort of go. Stuff? It's a Welsh international, and we've um, we do we do Dublin and and uh, France. We always used to do Dublin and Paris, but the Paris games when they started doing sort of kicking off at midnight on a Friday. To be honest with you, it's not the the most conducive thing to. Um, making sure you have a good time. So what we now do is when it, when the game is in Paris, we go to a French city. Um, so we've, we've been to sort of Bordeaux, Montpellier, Biarritz, Pepignon, Toulouse, we usually phone ahead and say that uh, we're coming. Are there any games on or whatever? And, and in, invariably they get mixed up when they see London Welsh, they just think it, it's the Welsh which is great. So uh, the team turns up in their blazers with a London Welsh badge on and they say, oh, les Anglais. Uh, sorry, um, uh, le Pégal, le Galois, le Galois. Yeah, great coming here. And they, they actually think half the time, they think we're the uh, the Welsh committee, even though we're not. Um, so that's always good fun. And then we and then we always go to Dublin. Um, we've got a contact, Nigel Connell, who's got a contact with Dublin, who's uh, sort of runs all the security and, and the, the match day preparations there. We never know where we're going to sit, but three or four of us always get a, get an invite there. So uh, we had two boys a couple of years ago um, sat in the sin bin, which was great, um, which is because no one else was there until they sent Dennis Leamy off in the last, in the 78th minute. And the cameras panned and there's two guys in martini club jackets and Dennis <laughs> Leamy sat in the middle, which is great. So, uh, yes. <laughs> A couple of years ago, uh, Nigel I and two of the other boys, we, we sat we actually sat on the same front row as the as the Welsh subs. Um, so uh, we were told to be on our best behaviour there. And several years ago, we sat in the presidential box, and I was shoulder to shoulder with Mary McAleese, the then um, Irish president. So uh, yeah, we've got around a bit. It's been good. All in the name all in the name of rugby camaraderie and London Welsh. Yeah, rugby friendship is great. But you're also you know, you have yeah. a responsibility because you're president of the Voyagers as well. So just yeah, so, so some people who, who listen to this might, might not necessarily know what what the Voyagers are, but may have heard of them. Can you just let our just know what they are and what you raise money for? Absolutely. Um, the Voyagers was uh, I think we're about sixty five years old now, 
And on a return trip from Paris, um, 60 odd years ago, half a dozen supporters were on a ferry. They pulled all their uh, French shrapnel um, and said we ought to do something with this, um, with, with these francs we've got left. Why don't we, you know, put it to good use? And I actually then founded the, the, the Voyagers charity. And the constitution is, is basically um, a charity to aid injured sportsmen and sports, amateur sportsmen and sportswomen. And it always used to be a, a bit of a misconception. It was a, or only London Welsh, but it's not. It just so happened that the first people who were sort of uh, thought of it were London Welsh. And we, London Welsh uh, people have always taken the lead in it. But historically, um, it's been um, the on the sporting side and how we've raised revenue has been through the sevens. And we've had a fantastic history as far as sevens are concerned. And I've won the Aberiran Sevens, won the, the Middlesex Sevens, uh, Open Arthian Sevens um, up at Melrose and Hoik, you know, with, with wonderful internationals playing for us over the years, you know, people like young Martin the Fires and then you know, Kevin Bowring and Clive Reese and, you know, Mark Douglas and all these sort of guys. Absolutely amazing. So that is... Um, since the advent of professionalism, um, we can't do that as much. So what we're doing now is still doing sevens, but we're trying to um, use some of the um, the boys down in Wales who are on contracts who are allowed then to play in the summer months. And we've had a couple of London Welsh lads and some um, Surrey stroke Middlesex youngsters that in the name of the Voyagers and also trying to... Um, help their their career development um we carry on doing that and i think you know we we now we're we're, we're it's we got a little bit of a wider remit that um we we spread the money around more the injuries can don't always historically they were they were life-threatening and life-changing you know tetraplegic and quadriplegic yeah. injuries that had come through rugby or whatever and meant the life a life of agony in a wheelchair, not only for the, um, you know, for the injured party, but also their family and things. So it, we, we, um, we've, we've recently, this includes sort of um, junior as well as senior, uh, men's and women, um, and ac accidents related sports-wise, not necessarily um, sort of, you know, broken necks and things. And it, it's been really, it's really really good thing to be involved in we've had fantastic we've got a, a really good core of about 250 270 members a lot of them from london welsh it's only 10 pound a year and we have a barbecue and i think i don't know whether you've been but our christmas lunch is fairly infamous to be honest with you and that that carries on and it's it's a brilliant tradition of the um yeah traditional Sunday lunch and auction and um, Nigeria's running the carols, um, which is brilliant. And we've got, you know, as a result of it and the work that Nigel Reese and um, Nigel Connell, Gareth Thomas and Di Williams are doing, you know, we now get invitations to the, to the elite sevens in, um, in England, which is great, we've had a, we've got some links with um, the WRU now, who wants us to be involved. So you know, under the brand of the Voyages, I think it's fantastic. That's great. Look, I think the Christmas meal this year is on the on the nineteenth of um, 
of December. So I <coughs> I intend to to be at that lunch. So we should be uh, we should be good. Get your uh, tickets in for get your tickets yeah, in. Yeah, no, no, I, 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 I But I do know the Colts have got a game against London Irish that day at home, and it's it's a London it's Irish okay. weekend for the club because. The first team are playing the Saturday against the, the Wild Geese. Yes, the Colts are playing we'll on the Sunday. There. But I can have, I can shower and change and leg it to the Voyagers lunch, which I even I if you only get do. there for the auction, the auction of mince pies and the and the carols. That that's yeah. all you want. I'll definitely that, be there. Definitely. Yeah. Look, look, you you have had an amazing rugby career, of which London Wales played a, a big part of that. You've made over two hundred thirty-one, two hundred thirty-one first team appearances. And I reckon you probably yeah. put in another 150 games in, in, in the Druids as well, probably, probably during that yeah. time. Something like that. But yeah. look, you're a real stalwart London Welsh, um, and you continue to enjoy the environments at the club. But what makes London Welsh so special for you? Um, I just think that it's the the meeting of minds and kindred spirits. Um, I joined London Welsh. Um, expecting a warm welcome, and I got one. And I don't think you could. You, and it's not something that you you demand. But I think there's an opportunity for rugby for everybody. When um, you 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 have a a desire to want to um, play sport at any level, you have to you have to fit in with the you know with the rules and the and the hierarchy and find something that works for you but the passion the commitment and everybody sort of singing from the same hymn sheet and as they have done for years um was just a revelation and and easy to be honest with you every every uh, rugby club certainly that i've been involved in has always said oh we you know we, we welcome everyone with open arms we make people um you know as much as home as you can i don't think that's always the case and the more the more teams you've got, the harder that becomes to make sure that everybody is uh, catered for. And you'll always find people who are disappointed. But as far as the you know the greater club, not just the first fifteen, you know the supporters, the the youngsters, the people who've been supporting there for you know 30, 40, 50 years, even people who are, who are not necessarily Welsh and travel fifty miles every every week because it's the best club to be at, you know. First of all, for the quality of the rugby. Secondly, for the um, you know the social crack and, and the quality of the singing and rubbing shoulders with the players and making it a real, you know, a, a real sort of London Welsh community. I, I don't think it's ever stopped. I mean, it hasn't I don't think it, I don't think it's any different now in that front bar. We might we'd like to build our numbers, and I think they'll come back as we go as we go up the leagues. But we know every year when you know we have a a win and we're we're all stood outside the club and the choir and there and the and the and the kids are there and the you know wives girlfriends dogs anyone else to support this club you name it and suddenly Joe gets his tuning fork out and Arthur starts belting out <laughs> bread of heaven you know you don't want to be anywhere else do you? There's no better place in the world than no. being outside London Welsh after a, a game of rugby. The sun is shining. Absolutely so. And the yeah. choir's there. It's 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 just it's just it's just a fine place to be. It just uh, it's, it makes the hairs the back of your neck stand up at times being out there, doesn't it? Uh, yes, and every single time it happens, it it's as you know it it's as joyful as the first time it happened. I I think it's I think it's great, and uh, um, I think everyone is uh, is is also quite proud. Of, of the brand of which everyone's treated 
pretty much the same, and I really like that. Yeah, I, th I think that's that's quite good. I I think you need elitism in sport, especially if you you're trying to attain and you and you have goals. But I don't think uh, you you certainly don't need, need elitism in the bar. There are still some of us who are better than others when it when it comes to uh, making an impression um, in the bar rather rather than on the pitch. But uh, I think we're all we're all equal in in that sort of environment, and it's fantastic. And the stories and the people you meet and uh, their cultures, where they come from, and everybody, everybody, I think, talks to everybody as well, and it's great, you know. And, and I think we're, I think we're blessed. I think we're very lucky. The the venue, the the history, and there's also, I think, we got a pride. I think we're very proud of our club because we we do have an identity, you know. Even even the um, I I thought that. It was disappointing with what happened to the Premiership site, but I didn't think that it that in any way it dented the greater brand. You know, London Welsh is, was you know always, I think uh, now with with the building that you and um, the likes of Glenn and Danny and and certainly Kai, you know, people like that, what they're doing is is reestablishing a brand that is already you know one of the sort of hallmark rugby brands. I, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. Um, regardless of where we are, people say, oh, London Welsh, yeah, great. You know, there's an acknowledgement that the brand means something. And a brand club that you played a big part of in this history. Look, Julian, um, I really appreciate your time today. And I've really enjoyed- You're welcome. Really enjoyed uh, talking to you and just learning about your career. It, London Welsh, Gareth. And, and also you know, either side of that. So uh, look, keep coming to the club, keep coming to see your mates, keep having a few beers. And I'm sure I'll see you at the club on Saturday. I certainly will. Diolch, Gar. Diolch, June. Cheers. All the best. Bye.